What's up, everybody? Brian Mendler back with another season of the podcast. And before we get into that, just want to tell you about my brand new book, That One Kid. The second edition is now available. The second edition of my national bestseller is now out. You can get it on Amazon, like all of my books, a super quick and easy read packed with tons of strategies you can use immediately. Go to Amazon right now, get my best-selling book, That One Kid, second edition, available now. Hey, everyone, just want to tell you about my virtual and in-person coaching sessions that I'm offering. Go to my website, brianmendler.com, to hear more information about them. Basically, what I do is I meet with teachers in small groups, either virtually or in person, and I tell them, bring one kid, bring one or two kids that you feel in your mind, that you feel like if we could really help this one or two, it will have a ripple effect on your school, on your class, on yourself. And then we spend 45 minutes to an hour really focusing on that one or those two kids. Go to my website, brianmendler.com. Lots more information there. Hope to see you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Brian Mendler Show. Introducing your host, fighting for kids everywhere. Brian, that one Kid Man What is up, everybody? Brian Mendler back in your life on another edition of the podcast. And I am super excited to be here today. And I took a couple months off from doing these. I was traveling all over, doing staff development all over the country. And I am back and I'm super excited today to be joined by my friend, Mr. Rob Johnson. This guy, you know, I mean, if you were to put a picture of a person who is an educator in the dictionary and you looked it up, this guy's face would show up. He's been in this profession for over 35 years. What's up, my man? It's so good to see you. Good morning, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So you're coming to me from up near Atlanta, correct? Yes, we're in northeast Georgia, a little small town that's exploding in population called Houston, Georgia. <laughs> so 35 years in this business, right? Take me through your career. It was actually 45 uh, <laughs> years. Yes. Uh, I started teaching in Montgomery, Alabama, intercity, Sydney, near high school. was a castle of a school, but an amazing school. Still stay in touch with some of my students that I had 40 years ago that emailed me and Facebook me quite a bit. It makes an old guy feel good to know <laughs> that people still have some memories of things that I've done for them and helped them along the way, which I really appreciate. What did you do there? What was your job? I was actually a government and economics teacher there. That's where I started my career in Montgomery. My wife and I both started there. My wife was down the street at a middle school. Then I went from Lanier to uh, being a, an assistant principal at a school called Bellingrath School. And to be honest with you, it was a pretty difficult school. As an administrator, it was a constant thing and it had kind of gotten out of control. But as an assistant principal, I couldn't work in a place like that. And so I just turned on my relationships first, like your t-shirt said and kind of got to know the kids and could actually begin to 
established some positive relationships with a group of kids that came from a very violent, a very difficult inner city. How specifically did you build the relationships with them? Not to cut you off, but I, yeah. I want to know specifically, what did you do? Well, and that's a very good question because as a young educator, I didn't know how to do it. But as a son of a minister and a teacher myself, of course, it was one of the things I was required to do and expected to do in my own household with church members and people like that. But many times when a kid would come to the office and I would see 40 or 50 a day, instead of just saying, you shouldn't have done that, Uh, you get this, you got that, got to go home or whatever it was, I kind of talked to them, tried to get to know them a little bit. And then I began to contact parents and I would say, listen, I know we've had a difficult time at school, but you know, we can change that. We can get them on the right path and we can get them ready for high school because I've been there at high school and I have taught there at high school. I know what it takes and they're going to have to concentrate on something other than fighting and, and arguing and things like that to be able to survive. And I want your kid to survive. I want your student to graduate because I'm going to be there at their graduation. And so what happened in that two years there, parents would call me and say, can you talk to my kid about this? Because they didn't come home last night. I don't know where they were. It's always been easy for me to establish professional relationships. And it began to turn things around. And I'm not pointing fingers and saying I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's just that the school was a bit out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And teachers are so supportive that someone was paying attention that we were doing something positive. And then, of course, I spoke to teachers every day. Of course, I had to be in the halls to take care of the kids, but I did the same thing with the teachers. And so after two years of that and the superintendent coming out and seeing things have settled down and worked a little bit, I got an opportunity to be what I wanted to be when I was 16, and that was a principal. And most of the time, my fellow educators took seven or eight 10 years as an assistant. And after two years, I was promoted to the best junior high school in the city of Montgomery, (laughs) Alabama. And I was a bit in awe. I didn't know what to do because I'd never been a principal. I just turned 30 years old, but I've always kept the idea that you got to know your kids. You can't just try to work with teachers and say, let's try this. This may work better than what you're doing. If you don't have a good relationship, then it goes right over the top of their head. People first, right? People over product, right? Like there's product. Product is your math, your science, your ELA, your social study, whatever you're teaching, right? That's the product. But focus on the person in front of you and they come first. And the product is just something that you're going to get to them, right? Right. After you connect with the person. I think you're actually right. But let me tell you uh, something that happened to me probably the first couple of months of teaching. It goes along with what you said. I was teaching the subject, government, economics, American history. I was delivering the content. I was standing and delivering years ago when that's kind of how you did things. And it wasn't very effective. And I just felt like that. And the kids, after I established a relationship and was honest with them, I didn't have discipline problems. It's just that they were sleeping and they weren't paying attention. Right. So there was a gentleman who taught across the hall. To be honest with you, he passed away a couple of years ago, and I wish I had a chance to tell him this. But during my planning 
time I would go and literally stand by the door and I would hear him deliver the same information, but I would hear kids laughing. I would hear kids interacting, asking questions. And I was delivering the same information from the same books. And my kids were going to sleep. They weren't <laughs> asked the question. And they would have no idea what I talked about. So his name was George Thompson. And if anybody listens from Montgomery, Alabama, you know George Thompson was a legend there. And I said, Mr. Thompson, will you sit down with me and help me? I said, I'm a, I'm a brand new teacher. The kids love your class. And I just want to know what to do. I want to be a teacher like you. And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. He said, let's just come by this afternoon and we'll sit down. So I took my little notebook and took my pen and I sat down and I was so excited because here this legend was going to tell me what it's all about. And a phrase he said, and this is probably more than 45 years ago. This was in 1975. I was born in 76, by the way. Well, then 75, 76 (laughs) is when I started. But this guy told me one thing, and he said, I want you to write this down, and here's what I want you to work on first. He said, you ready? And I said, yes, sir. He said, Johnson, I've been by your room. You do a good job. You've managed to keep your kids under control in a situation that's probably not very easy to do. He said, but I got one thing I want you to do first. I said, okay. He said, I want you to understand that kids don't care what you know until they know you care. And I wrote it down. And, you know, I've heard that phrase. That was in 1975. I've heard that phrase repeated. And I, I don't know if he was the origin of that. Probably not. But I've heard it said a number of times. Right. That changed my whole life. Because what he said was, You've got to identify with the kids. You've got to establish a a positive professional relationship with these kids. And if you don't, they're going to sleep in your class. They're going to misbehave. They're they're not going to pay any attention to you. And so from that day on, under George Thompson's leadership, I uh, came back the next couple of days. I said, Mr. Thompson, will you every now and then come by and kind of check on me and see what, what you ask me to do? If I'm being successful at all, if you can see any difference. And later in the year, he came by and he said, Johnson, you're going to be all right. You're going to be. He's never one to give me a lot of compliments. He said, yeah, you're going to be all right. Um, you know, I think it takes a lot of courage to allow someone to come into your room and to watch you and to give you feedback and to even allow that to happen. It was. And to be honest with you, no reflection on the school because I love the school and I love the people. I work with and my kids, but it was a pretty violent situation. It was a disruptive kind of situation. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it was sort of an inner city school that we had a great faculty and I, I really adored the kids. Yeah. It was just that when they got out in the hallways, they didn't know what was going to happen. You said a point that changed your career. You know, one of the things that I learned in mine that helped change mine was that there's no real such thing as a behavior or a discipline problem. Like that's not a real thing. Like behaviors aren't problems. They're solutions to problems, right? The real problem is a kid being desperate for attention or a kid wanting someone to notice them or 
having a lack in their life of power and control. And their solution is, let me act out. Let me act inappropriate. Let me call out. Let me, let me badger other kids, right? And so I think a lot of people mix those things up. And I hate the term behavior problem. That term drives me crazy. People use that term all the time in school. Oh, that kid, he's a behavior problem. Oh, yeah. The, I had the little sister last year. She was a behavior problem then. I taught the mom 22 years ago. I could have predicted at the time. Like, like and, and I'm sitting there like, well, actually, no. Like, no. There's no such thing as that, right? If you look at behaviors as problems, they're really hard to fix. But if you look at them as solutions to problems, then you don't look at the behavior anymore, right? So it's almost like the behavior happens, but I try to like go to the side of it like and let it go past me. It's like in a boxing fight, someone throws a punch and you slip the punch, right? And the punch goes past you and now you can see behind it. And what's behind it is always what's causing the behavior. And if we can focus on the solution, what is the kid desperately needing in their life? Then I think we have a chance to fix the actual behavior. That is so true. And George Thompson years ago understood that. I don't know if he ever said it in a more eloquent way that you did, he was not one that talked a lot. and Unlike and you it. and me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's true. It's always been a mantra of mine. Whatever I do, wherever I am, and I'm not as good at it as I need to be all the time. But, you know, sometimes in specific situations, if you don't have that, like if you're in a power struggle that you don't want to be in and you didn't cause it and you really don't want to participate it's difficult sometimes to backtrack and try to establish something positive if you haven't done it before. So I guess it's exactly what you're saying. You know, it's not too late, but you're going to have to establish that relationship before you can work on power struggles. Because there are some kids that just uh, I've heard you say many times, kids want to perform for their friends. That's right. One of my favorite lines that I use in my workshop for teachers is that the audience plays a role in every performance that you see, right? When you're seeing a performance from a kid, typically the audience is playing a role in that performance. And I don't always know what that role is, right? Like sometimes the role is different, but what I've learned is that there are some teachers that don't even look at the audience, right? It's like they're so focused on the performer, right? They knock it off, cut it out, enough is enough. And I'm not saying not to do that. I think sometimes that is an important thing to do. But frequently, like, the kid will be performing over here, and I'll go over here. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not happy with the two of you. But we were just sitting here. No, you weren't, because you're making faces, and you're giggling, and you're laughing. And you two are supposed to be leaders in this class. Right. But she's the one I know and I'll deal with her in a second. But right now it's about your two leadership skills. And I'm watching that more than I'm watching her. Notice how I dealt with the audience versus dealing with the performer. And I, like, again, I think it's important to look at both. Right. And right. just just make sure you're kind of peeking in both directions to see, is it really the performer or is it somebody pushing them into the performance? It's the same thing frequently when kids fight. Right. There's a reason that in the rare occasion kids fight, they don't typically meet in the broom closet, right? Like they meet in a public place. Why? Audience matters. There's a reason in sports, teams fight for home field advantage, right? Why? Audience matters, right? So audience matters 
that's why also privacy matters so much. Like getting kids away from their friends. Like what, what, when you're trying to correct a kid's behavior or deal with them about something, pulling them, hey, hey, come here, buddy. I want to talk to you real. Instead of from across the room, knock it off, cut it out, be quiet. It's, hey, come here. Can I talk to you? Hey, I love that shirt you're wearing. It looks really good on you. By the way, I was just curious. Would you mind just giving me like 10 minutes to teach real quick? I would appreciate it so much. Like how we deal with people matters. And, and, you know, for some people, that's different. You know, as a, a teacher, I hear so much. I have 135 schools that uh, kind of go in and out of frequently. But, you know, our teachers have been bombarded with the standards that they have to cover and they have to teach. And it, they're going to test the kids. And if the kids don't perform well, it's, it's a reflection on the teacher. And there's nobody standing up but you saying, Where's the relationship piece? How, how do we connect that? What George Thompson said to me, they don't care what you know or what anybody else knows until they know you care about them. And, you know, interesting, I've read a lot of research. I know uh, I went to a writing across America workshop where they had done this writing thing. And they found out that boys sometimes more than girls felt stronger about that concept plus how we can use that. I don't know if you've heard anything about that, but like there was an example that they wrote up in a book called Reading Don't Fix No Chevys. And I'm from the South, but that's the book title. And there was a guy in there named Andre and they, he was failing every subject, but language arts, he had an 87 in it. So they were doing a writing research and they said, write a paragraph and explain why you're failing the other subjects and you're making an 87 in language arts. And he wrote, I know Ms. Johnson, I can't remember her name, cares about me. So I do her work. I don't care about the other work because they don't care about me. So I don't do their work, but I'll do Ms. Johnson's work. So they said, well, come back and, and, and talk about how difficult and how to establish that. They said, well, how do you know Ms. Johnson cares about you? And what he said was, well, every couple of weeks, she asked me about what's going on in the world of wrestling. And she knows that I keep a notebook with me at all times and people come to my house and we watch wrestling. And so every now and then she will say, well, what's going on in the world of wrestling? And, and he says, and I know she cares about me as a person. Right. So I know that was a simplistic example from a kid's standpoint. But sometimes teachers say, I have 30 kids in my room. I can't establish a relationship with all 30. Well, it's not that difficult. You just gave a great example just a minute ago about, hey, I like that shirt on you, but can you give me 10 minutes? Always lead with a compliment. It's the same when you call a parent, right? Like when I was a kid, there were many phone calls home to my parents and right. most of them ending with my mother yelling at me or crying. You know, and yeah. that I don't listen. I don't think that's the goal when parents call home or when t teachers no. call home. I don't think right. the goal is to get a parent super upset, right? So, like, no. always, hey, ma'am, I just want to let you know that your son is one of the most assertive human beings I have ever met in my life. The good news about him, he'll never take drugs if he doesn't want to because that boy has a mind of his own. I mean, <laughs> let me tell you that. And I got to tell you, ma'am, I love people like that. People like that in the world typically do really well. And I want you to know, yes. I think your son's going to be fine in the world. That said, 
dot, 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 right? Like leading yeah. with something to soften them first, right? Like you want to soften first, right? The, the sponge has to be soft before it absorbs, right? And so if yeah. we don't soften people first, then the message we try to send them often just kind of bounces off. Oh, that's such a good example. I, I like the sponge part. I, I think that's so true. And many times you, you stop and think about our excellent programs in, in our universities uh, to help our kids become teachers. Very rarely do they ever talk about what you talk about. And it's the very essential thing we need to talk about before we talk about teaching language arts or teaching math or whatever. But I, I, I wish that we could translate some of your message into our universities for even an introductory or something like that, because it's critical. It, it, and all you're talking about an old guy that's probably your dad's age. I've seen it throughout. I think you're older than my dad. I might be. You I told me be. yesterday how old you are. So you can tell yes. everybody. I'm not going to tell everybody. That would be disrespectful for me to do yes. Well, I remember when your dad wrote a book years ago with Richard Kerwin. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I met Richard. He did sort of a couple of days workshop at that system that I started, that oh, we started wow. talking about. And I think he mentioned in uh, the conversation that you're talking about talking with parents. He said he had a group of difficult kids his first year and, and it was all day. And he said the first grading period, they all got A's. And he made sure he called every parent because he said every grandparent and every mom and dad needs to know, hear some positive things about their kid. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the reality is there's always something positive. Like there's yeah. always, there is always something positive if we look for it. It's about right. what are we looking for, right? When you're right. looking for that, then you find it. Typically we find what we're looking for in the world, right? And so yeah. seeking that out first and just making sort of that the focal point every time. Success has to come first, right? So yeah. I think there's a cycle. I call it the success cycle, right? And think of a clock with no numbers, right? But instead of numbers, there's three words. Where the 12 would be, you have the word success, right? Where the three would be, you have the word confidence. And where the nine would be, we have the word competence, right? So success, confidence, competence. And then think of a ball that spins between those three words. Because the truth about life is those three words are breeders of each other. They breed each right. other. Success breeds confidence. Once I become confident, I start to have more competence, which makes me more successful, which gives me more confidence, which gives me more confidence, which gives me more sex. Sex, sex, sex. Right. <laughs> I meant to say sex. Yeah. Confidence and competence will probably give a person more sex too, but that's not what I was trying to say. <laughs> Success, right? The thing is though, now this whole thing is ruined, but some kids have never tasted any of the three, right? They don't know what success is because they've never felt it. And so the goal is to sort of shove them into that cycle as best we can. That is critical. And I think that was a message that I heard from you yesterday when you were delivering um uh, your presentation here in North Georgia. And by the way, I have received numerous emails and texts. Uh, I just got uh, an email just a few minutes ago from one of our administrators, and she thanked me for inviting you. And she actually is a special ed teacher. And she said, for once, somebody got somebody in to talk to us that actually knew special ed. So great compliment there. But I think the relationship piece is Thank you. critical. And I think the comments that I have gotten 
here recently were all about the relationships. It was not about how nice the new auditorium was or, you know, how nice you were dressed. And all. Yeah, they were all about relationships. Um, and so I just think it's critical. And I actually try to sing that song everywhere I go. Anytime I speak to a group or I do a walkthrough in a building or do a meeting with teachers, I try to find a way to bring in relationships. So I'm curious a little bit more about you. Like, what's your story like growing up? Were you a kid who did well in school? Did you like school? Did you always want to be a teacher? No, that's a very good question. Growing up, I had a very good childhood. I call it the leave it to beaver, but most people don't know what that is. I but I had a, You think most people don't know what that is? I don't know. I, it's been a long time ago. Oh, man. If people don't know what that is, then I'm really old. <laughs> All right. But, everybody you know, that's watching right now, I know there's not a ton of you, but you know, leave it to beaver. Just yes or no. Hit that in the comment box. Yes or no. Leave it to beaver. Tell us. All right. Go on. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt and, you. No, that's good. But my dad was a minister and mom was a teacher. They were very supportive of me. They're very strict on me. But growing up as a child, I had a lot of rules, but I was a complier. I did what I was supposed to do. Did I like school? Mm, I kind of did, but we moved around a lot. So I was always sort of the new guy on the block. I've never had an opportunity to say, well, I have known this person since first grade. Well, I may have, but I hadn't seen him since first grade. So I didn't have that kind of childhood. So, And I really didn't think about being an educator as I was growing up. I had a friend in our church that was a district attorney and very successful lawyer and such a good guy. Talking about relationship guy, he was always one that wanted to make people better than what they were. I don't know how to describe it. He just always tried to build people up. And he would have uh, lunch with me frequently on weekends and talked to me about how I needed to get to know uh, at least five attorneys that would speak for me so I could get into law school Hmm. and make all those plans. But something happened to me uh, my junior year. That was a mistake on the administrator's part. And I look back on it as an administrator and we all make mistakes. What happened? Well, what happened was, is I was accused of taking a girl's purse, of which I didn't, didn't even know her because I was new there. And they sent me home, told my dad I'd stole a purse. And while that was tough to be a minister's son in a small town and a teacher's son in a small school system that, you know, you took a girl's purse. And long story short, after the second day, they called and said, well, they found out that somebody was playing a joke on the girl and Nobody really stole her purse. I just put it in a locker. But it was the way I was treated. Talk about relationships. The assistant principal took me in, and I know he's passed away now, and I don't want any disrespect for his family, but I learned a lot about how he dealt with me. And, and what he said was, is, you can go back to school, but I'm going to keep my eye on you. Uh, we don't like new people coming into our town, and I just don't trust you. And here I was, I was a kid that never been to the office. That was my first time. And to be honest with you, I was the kid back in the day that would go to the office before school and say, is anybody signed up to read uh, scripture from the Bible or have mm. prayer? That's what we used to do in Dothan, Alabama. And I would be always the one that say, I'll do it if you don't have anybody. And I probably did that three, four times a week. There were some weeks I did it every day. 
And it's not because I was very outgoing. I really wasn't at that time. But I just felt like, you know, that was my role. And so I played the role of a good student. Now, academically, I wasn't the best student, but behavior no. I was. But Why not I, academically? Um, what was your struggle? My struggle was memory retention. I could learn something and read something, and 30 minutes later, I just couldn't remember what I read. And mm. so when it came down to test, I couldn't understand why I could. I, I knew it. I knew the, the material, but when I took a test, I couldn't remember what I had remembered previously. And I don't know what that yeah. was. Over the years, I've, I've worked on that. I actually, one of my first dissertations topics was um, was on that. But, but from that time on, I went home and told my mom. I said, Mom, I'm not going to be a lawyer. And she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, Mom, I, I, I want to be a high school principal because I think I can do school better than what I've had to do, okay. what I've had to put it with. And, and Brian, it's been that burning fire in my belly all these years. And I guess when it goes out, it's time for me to um, stay at the house and read all the books I'd love to read and, and work in the yard and things like that and retire. But I've retired twice. Neither one of those times did it work. But that's what got me to thinking, I want to be a high school principal. So when I graduated college, oh, I, I still went in and took a lot of constitutional law classes and stuff like that, because I still had that, that part of me in me that I didn't want to disappoint my lawyer friend. who sent Did you have any teachers back like when you were in high school, kind of where you were struggling academically with, with memory and all that? Did you have any teachers that you remember really kind of being there and helping you? Really? Very few. Back in those days, again, I was the new guy. I don't think that teachers in my generation back when I was in school, that that was a priority for them. I can envision in my head pictures of teachers sitting at their desk, talking heads, talking about the material. Okay, now you do these problems at the end or write a paragraph about this. And I very rarely had some that tried to communicate with anybody. But I did have a government and economics teacher in 12th grade that helped me more than, than any of the others. And sadly, his wife, he lost his wife in a, um, a fire on a high-rise building in Montgomery. It had a restaurant on top. The restaurant caught on fire, and most of the people in that restaurant on top of that tall building perished. And he sort of had this mission that was a little different than the dog food approach. Here it is. Get it if you want it. If you don't want it, then that's fine. His was different, and he seemed... To me, I felt like he cared about me as an individual. And I think he realized that I could tell him and answer questions about what he's talking about. And then I would take a test and it wasn't necessarily uh, the same. And I know there are some times that just some little things like this that helped me understand at that time, I wasn't thinking about teachers caring about me. I was just trying to survive. Yeah. But let me tell you what he he would do. Sometimes, knowing that what I just told you, when we'd have a test, he'd walk by with a little peppermint, a little round peppermint wrapped up, and he would put it on my desk and walk by. I wouldn't say anything. So as we were taking the test, he'd give me a little piece of peppermint. Being so long ago, I remember... Well, that's pretty neat. It would have been better if you put the answer in the peppermint. 
That's what um, I thought you were going to say. He gave me a peppermint <laughs> wrapped, wrapped in a piece of paper and it had the answer to the test. So he yeah. hooked me up and made sure yeah. I was successful. That would have been a better story. You should that go with was, mine next time. That's right. Well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll try to remember a uh, little deeply. Uh, no, that didn't happen. But in his way back then, I took that as, I didn't see him give any very many other. I think sometimes he gave some others, but he didn't give everybody a piece of peppermint. And he made it so it was not obvious. So, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of folks who cared much about me. But you know what? With my home background and the way I was raised and caring about other people and my mom and dad, my, my dad's still with us at 93 years old. Wow. And he is the most caring, positive human being I've ever known. He had um, heart valve replacement at 90 years old. He's had little things here, bypass surgery and things, and it just doesn't phase him. He, he stays positive. He has such a great relationship with other people. So I think probably what I got was more wanting to be like my dad and the way he did relationships with people probably led me to being the same way in a school not knowing that it would help kids down the road. If you were to get on my Facebook and see, I usually have a couple of times a month kids. And sometimes I have to stop and think, okay, wait a minute, what school were they in? And what was I doing? Was I a teacher? Was I an administrator? But I get these. Yes. And it all relates to going back to relationships. That's the best thing about social media, I think, is the ability for people to stay in touch with people and find people and, and share those messages. And I shared one on my Facebook a while ago. You can scroll back on my fan page, but it went crazy. And it was basically a kid calling a former teacher saying, just thank you. And I appreciate what you did for me. And this is the place now that that can happen. And it's it's amazing. you know. And I think that's one thing that we need more than ever. Look, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. There's a teacher shortage in this country. There's a substitute right. teacher shortage in this country. And you know, we need positive affirmations and we need to hear from former students who we made an impact in their life. You know, I've seen both sides of it, right? I was a teacher teaching self-contained special ed that look, the reality is when you do that job on a daily basis, there's no applause, right? You don't, nobody claps for you when the day is over. Nobody wants to take a picture with you. Nobody wants you to sign an autograph or a book, right? Like it's this world where you basically have to have your own level of satisfaction inside and, and, and transition to the world I'm in now where I often am in front of large groups of people and all of those things do happen. And my wife always says to me now that I don't live in reality. She's like, you don't, you don't live in real life. Like it's not normal for people go to, to go to work and have other people applaud for them. Like some people get that, right? You're a pro, pro athlete. You're a, a musician. You're, you know, you're an artist. You're a movie star. Like sometimes you get those things, but that's not what we have as teachers. And so, and I think that's part of the exhaustion, right? Like it doesn't take many of those when I'm feeling down and sad to make me remember, oh my gosh, like that person just came to me and said, thank you, or you changed my life or like a couple of these comments today, right? You came to our school and I was blown away, right? I'm reading it right now, you know? So like when those things happen, it gives you a jolt. It gives you a, a boost of energy. And, you know, and I think teachers more than ever need things like that to happen right now in their lives. I agree. And I think, Brian, sometimes it takes a 
person like you coming in and doing that. Sometimes it's difficult as a teacher to share that same information. Sometimes we think if if people come in 50 miles away from where you live, that they're an expert, but you're truly a dynamic expert. (laughs) Sometimes I think that's your gift. Your gift is to be able to come in and share that from a background of I live in this world. Yeah. You know, I struggled for a really long time in school and I think it's important in life to find what you're good at. Like, what are you good at? And then try to take what you're good at and figure out how you can do that in your life and and make something of a career out of it. And I'm not even talking about what I do now, right? I've always been a good talker, which in school is bad, right? Like the number one question I get in workshops across the board is how do I get these kids to stop talking? That's the literally, if you ask me, what's the number one question? That is the number one question. And my answer is always the same. Why are you trying to get them to stop talking? Like, why is talking bad? I make a really good living talking. Like, it'd be irresponsible to tell me to stop talking. Our problem, us talkers, our problem isn't that we talk. Our problem is that we frequently don't know how to listen. Those are two very different things, right? And so- what I'll do with a kid is I'll say, I'll do the opposite approach, right? I'll say to the kid, I love that you talk. I love it. Talking is fantastic. And then I'll show them a list of a bunch of people in the world who make a ton of money speaking, right? And you can find them. You Google it, right? There are former presidents who make a couple hundred thousand dollars per speech, right? And so I'm for you talking. The problem is you don't listen and you don't read. And if you don't listen and you don't read, then you don't have any information. And if you don't have information, they can, then you can't use your gift to give out information. And so, but, but notice the difference, right? When, when I tell a kid to stop talking, I'm trying to take something away from a kid, right? When I focus on start reading and start listening, I'm adding something to a kid. And the truth is, challenging students in general, they don't like having things taken away from them because they don't have much as it is, right? Most of these kids come from a world where they don't have a whole lot. And so the thing they have, I try hard not to take the thing away. I I wanted to put salt or pepper or or salsa or hot sauce on the thing that you already have, right? I'm going to take your eggs and just make them better. And that's why that question, again, how do I get these kids to stop talking? And I'm like, would you ever say, how do I get these kids to stop reading? No teacher would ever say that, right? Like that would be crazy to say that. I think in the world out there, talking and reading are, are about similar to be successful. Like they're both incredibly important skills for people to have, right? And so to not nurture one or the other is to me crazy. What you just said is something that I think every teacher needs to sit around the table and talk about, which I really think what I'm going to try to concentrate on is to contract with you to do some small group coaching sessions, because I think we learn a lot when we're in a small group. We're not afraid to ask a question in front of 500 people like yesterday. (laughs) They weren't afraid yesterday, I'll tell you that. No, they weren't. And they absolutely loved you. Let me just tell you this. I have a very good friend who was in the session yesterday and a a friend of his was in the session right after you finished, the friend said, that was awesome. And my friend said, yes, sir. Great (laughs) life story applied through the lens of practical application via true therapeutic words slash principles of recovery. This young man (laughs) is a recovering alcoholic 
35 years old, been sober for about three or four years. And I talked to him almost an hour coming back from the airport. And he was telling me what an impact your comments were on him as a a recovery person. And he said, uh, the man's for real. I hear you. And I appreciate that very much. And I don't want to make this about me. It's great. I like that makes me happy. And I I mean, your people were incredible yesterday. There's no question about it. I had a bunch of Facebook reviews, all positive, and it was amazing. And so it was a great group of people. And look, it usually is a great group of people when they're not required to be there. When you put out a voluntary thing and 400 people show up, right? These are people who are choosing to come and, and taking their own, just like people that are watching right now. Like, I mean, we're preaching to the choir, right? These are the people who already get it. And so that's what I had yesterday. And and it was, you know, and I, I love that. That makes my life easy. I love it too when they put me in a room of a bunch of people who don't want to be there too. That actually revs me up as well. So however they want to do it. Listen, these 45 minutes go quick. Is there any last bit of knowledge or information you want to leave people with? Kids don't care what you know until they know you care. That's it. That's it. Well said, my man. Listen, Rob, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Thank you for doing this. And uh, I appreciate the ride to the airport. We we had, so just so everybody knows, the way this came about yesterday was I was working in Rob's area. He had contracted me and and they got about eight different school districts together. I think it was about eight, right? Five, eight. And they offered it and people could choose to come. About 400 people came, which is an incredible turnout. We were in a beautiful auditorium. We did three and a half hours in the morning. And then we had about an hour and 20 minute ride to the airport. And uh, Rob drove me to the airport and we had just a great conversation. And I was, a lot of times on those conversations, I, I, I think to myself, man, I wish this was live right now on Facebook or on on Instagram or on YouTube because we just have these conversations just about what I know my followers love, right? We love this, right? We we love talking about kids and trying to figure kids out. And, you know, when I liked it when a kid would cuss me out. Like I didn't mind it because to me, it was like, oh, I got something now that I can try to figure out. And like, to me, it was like this crazy puzzle that you're always trying to put together. And it was then that I said, why don't we do a podcast tomorrow morning? And Rob was on board. And so appreciate you, man. You're an inspiration. You're a heck of a, of a guy and you're what we all aspire to be in education. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, everybody else. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back in two weeks. So I'm going to do these starting now. Every two weeks on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., I'll bring in another guest every time, and uh, and we'll talk kids. Don't forget to join. If you're listening only, rate, subscribe, review, download, comment, hit that like button, that share button. Thank you, everybody. I'll be back with you same time in two weeks. Until then, I say peace. I'm out of here. Bye, everybody. Good seeing you all.